0: Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dolman. And Stephen Craig. So this week, i uh, been working a lot more on internal stuff, right? Yep. yep. Um, I got the Macro Arduino. This is kind of like a side project at home I've been doing. And it's basically, as the name implies, it's a Arduino with Macrofab all over it. <laughs> right. And the state of Texas. And the state of Texas on the back of it. Yep. It's pretty cool uh, silkscreen design on it. Uh, you put a little bit of your touch into the circuit, though, right? Yeah, so it's not a direct copy. It yeah. uses a USB Type-C. Mm-hmm. It actually uses an FTDI USB bridge. Um, and the power switching? It has a really nice TI power mux. Yep. Uh, TPS something, something, something. I don't remember what the oh, mall is... number was. Right. Um, and that's actually really cool because it just senses uh, which power line is being used. So it prefers to use you know, power in versus USB. But if it doesn't have power in, it switches over the USB, and it actually can do it hot-swappable. Mm-hmm. So if if your, say, your battery pack dies, you can still be powered over USB without losing your device. So it's an upgrade. Yeah, it's an upgrade. And I think it was $40 for singles, one of them. Hey, that's only $5 more than an Arduino. Yeah, and if you if you make a 100 a of them, it's like 25 bucks. So pretty good. Uh, thing. Oh yeah, and it uses the new eighteen mega three twenty eight P B instead of just a regular P. Right. Yeah. Cool. So, so the, the, uh, you have all those files available, right? Yes. Or they will be available. They will be available. No, they're they're actually already in the MacroFab Macro Articles GitHub account or GitHub repository. Okay. And the only difference is the PB doesn't have any of the stuff in it yet because it doesn't work with stock Arduino. I still have to work on the board's, like, configuration file stuff. Yeah. Like, that work. But I need the board to work on that stuff.
1: Yeah, right.
0: Yeah. Cool. Um, I had an article come out today, or not today. Was it two days ago? Tuesday? Um, about adding Eagle
1: crap, like DRC and... That's, um, that's actually libraries. written here on our on our, <laughs> our our notes here, article about adding eagle crap. Yeah,
0: <laughs> basically how to add like external libraries, external DRC rules, all that good stuff. There's an article about it. It's you know, it's pretty simple stuff, but some people don't know how to do that. Well, so. yeah, it's really dry too. Yeah, it's, it's very just, dry. You want to go learn? Go here. Yep. And I've been working on a new PinHec board, mm-hmm. Rev Eight, and so we're going to drop. The Parallax Propeller off of it. But the Parallax Propeller does all the AV stuff, audio, video. Um, we're actually going to be moving the audio video over to a Linux system. So we're looking at using the Octavo OSD3358, right? Yeah. Doing, and, doing a system on chip? Kind of yeah, thing? it'll be a, a system in package. OSIP, yes. So we'll be dropping this big BGA40 package on there, and then we'll be able to do all the audio and video over HDMI. At 1080p, 60fps, you know,
1: awesomeness. A couple, gosh, I don't know but how we're many. we're still using the Pic32. But you're just dropping the prop. Well, not uh, swapping the prop. Swapping the prop out for this. The, the pin heck is is a good definition of feature creep. It just keeps creeping. Well, because it's on revision 8 now. Yeah. And
0: the thing about it is when it, we first designed it, it was designed to run just an LED DMD display, do lights, solenoids, and that was and then some audio. Yeah. And now it's gotten to the point where like, it's currently Rev Seven drives a LCD display, <laughs> at right. very low, low resolution and very slowly. It drives at like twenty eight Hertz. Very slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so we but wanted to. But it's getting to, by. Yes, but it works. Yeah. And so we want to up this up the game for next year, and. So, yeah, that's what this Linux system is going to do on the board is enable us to do 1080p, 30, uh, 60fps screens with HDMI, and basically that solves the display problems. Sure. And then it will also do audio, uh, the audio part. So it will be able to do, like, 44 kilohertz, probably, like, bazillions, numbers of, you know, channels of audio.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but, yeah, we're also using the PIC32 still because... The problem with the using a Linux system is it's not real time. They make real time Linux and all this other, you know, mumbo jumbo, but it doesn't really work too well.
1: It's still good to have a microcontroller, yeah, that that communicates with yeah. all the peripherals. Yeah.
0: So the actually what it is, your game code runs on the PIC32, right? And the PIC32 actually tells the Linux system what videos to play and what audio to do.
1: Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. That's that's a lot easier to have that direct connection to a solenoid or a switch exactly. or a flipper yep. or whatever. And we're actually
0: going to make it so that there's going to be a USB port on it. So you can plug in a keyboard and mouse. And so you can develop your game on the pinball machine on the Linux side. And then push the code over to the PIC32. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. So, it'd be, so you can edit stuff wait, wait, on the fly. It would be... Awesome! If you could program it from the side flippers and the ball shooter,
0: yeah, that'd be insane. That would be absolutely like a character scroller. Yeah, and then, exactly. And then the start yeah. button is like the
1: enter. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, <laughs> that would be brutal. Be like a good Easter egg. I could, but I could see somebody actually doing that, just because they could. You know. Well, it's like the old way of um, programming computers, where you would,
0: you had a bank of eight switches. Right, and a line advance switch, and you would flip your your byte in line advance, and keep going, and you would punch in on, um, you know, two hundred or so lines of code, and then hit run, and it would
1: calculate and run your code. Right, <laughs> right, but but most of the time you would write out your code by hand beforehand be on paper, and you would debug it yourself by hand yep. before you enter it in, because yep. you could be at you know, line 160 something and flip the wrong switch and it's like, shit, (laughs) you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, cool. So that's what I've been doing this week. Yeah, so I've been doing a little bit of, uh, or a a good bit of internal stuff too, working on a bunch of process documents, so flow charts and things like that, kind of, not the fun really, side
0: of engineering. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they don't necessarily tell you you're going to do this in engineering school, but flow charts and all that good stuff and process definition, and it's all part of manufacturing, but not necessarily the fun stuff. On the other side, I've been working on my brewing controller, which that is the fun stuff that people might want to hear oh, about. Oh, yeah. So um, I'm actually going to be giving a talk at um, – a uh, conference coming up this December, uh, Destination Codes. So what is Destination Codes? It's So actually, um, in episode 20, we had Matt Keyes and Brian Dorton from the Iron Yard on. Yep. Uh, Matt Keyes is actually, uh, he set up this conference, which he actually calls it an unconference. Uh, so it's basically a gathering of like-minded individuals who are interested in coding and electronics and just a whole various slew of nerdy topics um and i'm actually going to be giving a talk there about hardware electronics and how they relate to a cool topic such as beer brewing sounds like a conference yeah it, it sort of <laughs> is but it, it, yeah it's, it's it's a conference that involves a couple days of skiing and you know good food and interesting oh. people and all that stuff so it's less of like go to this room in a hotel and you it's know do a, a powerpoint
0: but instead of you know business go going golfing yeah sort of yeah yeah
1: <laughs> But uh so so in preparation for this I'm actually developing um an electronic brewing control system that I'm going to be um, pre- presenting some portions of. Uh but so so brewing is is inherently a chemical process. I've been breaking it down into individual items that you can uh measure. So when it comes down to you know brewing it's it's working with grains, it's working with water, it's working with a couple of physical processes like temperature you have to uh, maintain temperature time flow rate a, a handful of things like this so so i've been um, the biggest one actually is flow rate for me that i've been kind of toying with at the moment uh and it's actually really difficult to find flow sensors or good flow sensors i should say you no inexpensive flow sensors that are good they, yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> You're right, because I don't want to spend $1,500 on a flow sensor. Yes. Uh, and and there's nothing, like, beneath the industrial world, there's not really there's flow sensors. Yeah. Uh, they, don't get me wrong. They exist, but most of the time they're like, do you want to measure, you know, 50 gallons an hour? Not really. I want to measure half a gallon a minute. You know, no. I want to measure like real small flow rates, and that's been difficult to find. But I did find one on Atlas Scientific, which they have a bunch of really cool environmental sensors, pH, uh, um, color, pressure, temperature. They have a whole bunch of different sensors that they offer, and they have some flow meters that I actually picked up one, and I've been playing around with that, which has been interesting. Uh, just because flow is so difficult to measure quantitatively through yeah. electronics, so the, the the one I got can measure down to 0.1 gallons per minute, and I've been playing games with uh, an Arduino connected to that, and and I've been getting uh, good results with it, but um, just measuring flow is not enough. I actually purchased a motorized ball valve off of Amazon. That yeah, is, you actually
0: got that in today. Or was it yesterday? yesterday? Yesterday. Yesterday. Got that in yesterday. You showed it to me today.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> so I've been playing around with that, which is cool because I think I'm gonna what I want to do is I want to write a PD loop that controls the ball valve, that is on the output of a pump that pushes through my flow meter, and then I'm able to Basically, I uh, identify and control everything. And right now, I've been doing everything on an Arduino because it takes like 10 minutes to write code to do this yep. stuff. And if you screw it up, it's like, okay, whatever. I'll just change a variable. You should use a macro Arduino. You know, for 40 bucks, I might have to do that. Yeah. Although, okay, so all of this said, I, I was watching E. V blog just the other day, the uh, the mailbag, which is a fun oh, segment. Yeah. That's the one, that's much the only one I can watch of his. <laughs> were you were you about to say bear or something like that? <laughs> Not that bad. <laughs> but well, okay, so the mailbag is fun because it's just a whole bunch of random crap. But he had and I didn't I hadn't seen this before. He, he uh, uh, Dave Jones was talking about um, the uh, little panda or the sorry latte panda latte panda latte yep. panda uh, which is a single board computer like a Raspberry Pi or BeagleBone kind of thing, but it runs a full copy of Windows Ten. And it has an Arduino built into it. Now, does it run? It's it can't be X eighty six Windows ten.
0: You know, I don't know. I, I don't know which. It's got to be the like the Windows ten that's running on the Raspberry Pi. It's got to be the. Is there a Windows ten that runs on Raspberry
1: Pi? I think so. Yeah. Huh. Okay. I don't know. Okay. So maybe it's maybe it's stripped down. Uh, from what I read, it seemed like it was a full full copy but 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 it's it's cool because it's just natively for me not being a programming dude and not really wanting to dig through all the raspberry pi garbage uh i'm like oh that sounds cool so so i might i might start playing around with that but it's it's just cool that that you have the microcontroller directly connected to a computer sort of like the um pinheck now is going to be with the linux and the pic um so I'm, I'm going to start investigating that and seeing what that can do for me in uh, my brewing rig. Yeah, the great the thing about the pinheck is we have to basically hit a price point. It's one of those – because
0: the thing about your brewing equipment, you don't really have a price point. You can just no, build it.
1: No, no. I'm not um, looking to sell this. I'm not looking to right, manufacture so, yeah, it.
0: Yeah, but the pinheck is like we have to hit an X amount in dollar mount. Right. And so that, you know, we can build pinball machines and they're profitable.
1: Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
0: The thing is, we're axing an eight dollar part to put a forty dollar part on it, so I got to figure out how to where can I cut out of the bomb to, <laughs> to get that forty dollar part, make it the the board the same price. It might be the price of the board has to go up a bit, but you know that's fine because we're also getting a ton more feature out of it. Yeah, as long as you get the value out of it. Yes, as long as we can get basically because that's the thing with the prop is we're maxing it out. It's pretty much done. We're we're at the... Everything's in assembly now. Wow, you've gone that <laughs> low? Yeah. Just to get
1: all the speed out of it? All the speed and all the uh, RAM we can't get out of it. Ugh. Yep. Assembly's cool for about five minutes, and then when you have to write something big, you're like, oh, God, this is horrible.
0: Our entire audio driver is in, in assembly.
1: Who wrote that?
0: Roy Elfman. Really? Yep. Cool. Hey, Roy. He listens to the podcast, so... Oh okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: Hey, how's it going, bro? <laughs>
0: <laughs> ah, so I think that's it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So RFO. So the uh, this is a really interesting. You found this article? Yep. The is it KAIST? KAIST Process Engineers, which is the Korea Advanced Institute of Te- uh, Science and Technology. Yes. Um, they have developed a new kind of chip packaging for ICs. Yeah. That basically allows them to make flexible chips flexible die yeah flexible dyes so they can put on flexible circuits or yep. flexible pcb substrate and yeah so you have an entirely flexible pcb
1: which is really cool um well flexible like silicon basically
0: yes and so how they do that is basically they just cut the silicon dies really really thin
1: yeah, right. <laughs> um, so anything's course, flexible if you cut it thin enough. Yeah,
0: so that's the same thing on that end. They cut it to 100 nanometers, I think is what it is. Yeah,
1: that's what it said. Um,
0: and then they attach it, and how they attach it to the substrate is I gotta look at my cheat sheet real quick. Um, oh, yeah, it's called ACF, which is um, the anastrophic conductive film. What? Yes. So it's all, this is a, a substrate material that's basically glues the die down okay and it does so um, it's, con- it's a conductive film but it's only conductive one direction like a diode? no more like polarized sunglasses huh? and so electrons can't go sideways in the substrate they can only go through the substrate and so when you glue oh. a die on top of it
1: it's got a weird crystalline structure yes yeah that makes sense yeah
0: and so when you glue the substrate down, you the basically the this basically replaces the bond wires. Yeah. And so the um And so the basically your electrons flow through the ACF material mm-hmm. and just go straight down and they can't interfere with the next connection.
1: That's cool.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. I wonder so how much um,
1: how much uh uh isolation each each has. Like is it can you get like thousands of volts worth of isolation Uh, that would be cool it's a
0: die um and they're talking about flash memory so it's probably only like five (laughs) volts
1: yeah max
0: (laughs) um still really cool stuff though
1: yeah Uh, and 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 they uh they were talking about rolling it onto things
0: yes so yeah um when they it's almost like printing a newspaper when you look at like the big drum yeah and it's like spinning and putting the ink on stuff it almost looks kind of like that's what they're kind of explaining of how this stuff gets applied to the how the dyes get put down and stuff
1: right yeah, yeah. kind of like the way a uh, laser printer yes uh does stuff yep but laser printing silicon dyes that's cool
0: yeah it's really cool stuff um it's gonna be really exciting to see where this kind of technology goes to the first, when you start reading it, you're like, oh, they just cut it really thin. That makes it flexible. And like, no, the magic is this ACF conductive film.
1: Yeah, having, having it such that it, it only flows vertically as opposed to horizontally. Yeah, because
0: that gets rid of your bond wires, and the bond wires is why stuff can't flex too well. The bond wire just breaks.
1: Well, there's that, and the bond wire can only carry so much current.
0: Well, this stuff can't carry that much current. This is for low-voltage, low-power stuff.
1: Yeah, I get Okay, yeah. Cool stuff. Awesome. So, um, actually, saw a really cool article this week, and this this was something I didn't know. Um, article on, on Hackaday something popped up. Something you didn't know? Yeah. Oh my gosh! But uh, fixing the amp. I thought the ampere, do everything. We do don't didn't you know that? No. <laughs> so the, the, the amp the the unit of measurement for um, current right. is not fixed. It's not necessarily a known quantifiable unit but yet. But my multimeter does. No. But it doesn't. What, and, and and this was I – d- I didn't know this and I probably should have. But it's, it's – it's, there's seven um, uh, base units in the SI yep. uh, world. And the only unit of the base units that are uh, derived for uh, electricity is the ampere. But it's not fixed by anything yet. Um, the actual definition, and I pulled this directly from Wikipedia, which is the most reliable source of information on the internet, right? <laughs> but uh, okay, it's so get there. this. The, this is the, a direct quote The amp is a constant current that will produce an attractive force of 2 to the negative 7 Newtons of force per meter of length between two straight parallel conductors of infinite length and negligible circular cross section placed. Uh, on uh, one meter apart in a vacuum,
0: you can't even do that. No, it's not possible. You can't even I can't that. even
1: understand what that is.
0: <laughs> well, first, no, one, no, no There's no. two things about that you can't do. Yeah. One, pure vacuum.
1: Uh, infinite length of wire. Infinite length and negligible cross section. You can't do. That. That's three things. that's
0: three things. Yeah. Three
1: things. So, so our entire unit of all of electricity is something that is just a thought.
0: It exists in a mathematical formula on a chalkboard.
1: Exactly. So we actually. Physics 101. We actually back. We back derive our main unit of electricity, the amp. Uh, we back derive it because voltage, we can measure voltage as difference of potential in yep. current or a difference of, of, of charge.
0: And then we know the resistance, and then you get amperes. And then
1: you can back do that through. So you have to use multiple equations to get to your base unit. Yeah. So all of this to be said, that's ridiculous in today's day and age because a amp is actually defined as one coulomb worth a of charge, charge passing through one unit of space and a node in 1 second. Yeah. Right. So one coulomb of charge we actually don't even really fully know what that is in terms of elementary charge of elect- uh, electrons. But we actually have the ability to count the number of electrons that pass through something. Yeah, because we uh, there's these new um, devices called uh, quantum counters? mechanical gates. Okay, I was hoping they be called. No, it is an electron. I was hoping it would just be called electron counter. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> it will. Okay, in effect, it is. So so. Now instead of fixing the amp based off of a back calculation from a volt which in that in itself is a back calculation of a coulomb now yeah. we can physically count how many electrons are going to be going through a particular area one by one in a unit of time therefore therefore fixing the amp and finalizing the seventh or the the one electrical base unit of current, which I find this stuff super interesting. That we're like it's 2016 and we're still doing this stuff. Yeah, you know.
0: Uh, so how far off were we?
1: How far off of what?
0: What was our uh, our current estimates versus what these things actually spit out? These quantum gate. Oh, so so counters. so
1: the the final numbers are not supposed to. The, so so this is all being done by NIST, which is the okay. the International yeah. Yeah. Science. That, measurements and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they, they do the stuff like defining the kilogram and crap like that. So uh, this is all supposed to be, like, done in 2018. So we don't, we don't have an answer yet. But one of the reasons why we, this hasn't been done particularly accurately, well, I should say. humans
0: can't see electrons moving.
1: Yeah. But we also don't know the elementary charge of an electron to its infinite decimal place so we're always wrong by a little bit yep we always have some error uh and so by counting the singular number of electrons we can get to within a few parts per billion accuracy of what an actual amp is so the in all said and done this isn't gonna affect you nope this You're, isn't going to change your multimeter. Yeah, yeah,
0: overnight your multimeter is not wrong. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, overnight all of electronics are wrong. No, yeah. it's not going to be that wrong.
0: Ohm's way. law is
1: not, you know, does not work anymore. Well, but oh, so so the thing is <laughs> it's the same thing with the kilogram because we we NIST is, is shooting to um, redefine the kilogram. It just sounds like they're bored at this point now. Well,
0: yeah, they just they just Either they fix amperes or come up with an, an eighth SI unit. They just make up a new unit. a new unit for something.
1: But but the but the kilogram right uh, was previously defined as what is it? 1 liter of water at 4 degrees Celsius? Uh 1 milliliter water at 1 milliliter? I thought you're talking
0: it talking about a gram, right?
1: No, oh, you're no, right. I'm sorry. I'm a sorry. Gram yeah, a gram is a gram, a gram. is uh, 1 milliliter at 4 degrees Celsius. Yes. Which is water's most densest densest whatever point um and that sucks in itself because it relies on temperature and it relies on uh volume in order to find weight but if you redefine the kilogram like there's it's been proposed as um a certain number of silicon atoms in a sphere it is now defined not by something you have to measure it is defined by a physical number yeah uh, which is exactly what's happening with the amp. We're trying to define it by a physical number of electrons passing through a, a space, which, awesome. Sweet. And that's what I have to say about that. Awesome. <laughs> uh,
0: not as intellectually probing. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, on Semiconductor. Yeah. This is actually really interesting because um, I actually asked – happen- I think this happened on Monday – and I asked Stephen, "I'm
1: like, so who's buying who today? Because <laughs> <laughs> how many podcasts have we had where we talk about someone buying somebody? Uh, almost every other one. Yeah, it's got to be a handful. Yeah. Now. So
0: I asked you, like, so who, the people who are left, who is buying who? Because it's it's one company that makes sense that's getting either bought out or buying, but the other one on semiconductor you don't really hear about too much. Yeah. You just like happen at least in my mind you just happen to use their part sometimes
1: <laughs> so i didn't even realize how... oh damn it i have to use an on semi well i just
0: never thought about
1: it yeah like because right.
0: they're not like they i guess they don't have like a presence in like uh, in media or anything they're well,
1: just... by by default you don't just go to on semi
0: yeah 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 it's um like it's like uh they just don't have a media presence it's like should know of ti because ti market has marketing
1: Right. And stuff like that. And TI does everything. Yeah. Also, how many times have you mentioned that linear technology, they make great stuff, but you can never buy it? Yes. You, Onsemi doesn't have that, that kind of thing. Yeah. Now, it's that, just like, oh, this is an on part? Okay. Okay. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's
0: a really good LDO. Sure. Right, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> um, so, and I didn't know how big they were at yeah. all. Yeah. The buying Fairchild. Which is like the granddaddy of old semiconductor.
1: Yeah, Fairchild started it. Uh,
0: Yeah. In fact, there's some
1: really cool YouTube videos about Fairchild talking about some of the first ICs. Yeah. And and showing their like slides and films for ICs where they're like, "We have over 60 transistors in this IC." (laughs) (laughs) It's like uh, good for you. (laughs) you. (laughs) Go watch them. Yeah.
0: Well, I will have to post them on yeah on it because I haven't seen those yet. They're cool. Um, but that, So, ON has been cleared to buy Fairchild. Um, it's going to be $2.4 billion. Of course. And semiconductor companies have so much money. Yeah. Um, but on the condition, this was interesting. Because this is one of the first ones that has a condition. That Fairchild has to sell their IGBT ignition line. Because so what I think is... Basically, on Semiconductor, they make IGBT ignition uh, switches. Mm -hmm. And I think Fairchild is probably the only other people that do that. And so it would be a monopoly. And so Fairchild has got to sell off their this line to make this work
1: i was about to say if you're buying them off why would you want them to sell their stuff exactly. if they're a competitor yeah you're yeah. right they they're avoiding much bigger problems yep. in the future so i'm
0: always wondering is like what if no one buys it, that line well why don't you buy it sure 1 dollar
1: <laughs> <laughs> there's
0: my offer yeah <laughs> anyways um i didn't know what an igbt was
1: Sounds I mean, like a, a political term.
0: Yeah, it does. Or <laughs> some kind of, like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to go there. Um, it means an insulated gate bipolar transistor, and so I basically read
1: the Wikipedia article on IGBT. See, we both go to the world, the, the Internet's most uh, reliable site yeah. for information.
0: And basically what an IGBT is, it's, well, first, the bipolar transistor existed. Yes. And then the MOSFET came out. Right. Then the IGBT. So the IGBT is a combination bipolar transistor from the low level. the bipolar transistor with a f- MOSFET gate yes. on the front end. Right. Um, basically, it combines the awesomeness of how easy it is to drive a MOSFET. Because it's voltage-driven instead of current-driven. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. But you also get the insane amount of current and voltage that you can pass through. A BJT a, a BJT, yeah With
1: that Cool stuff So you got Okay, so a BJT is a current controlled current device A MOSFET yep. is a voltage controlled voltage device Correct And an IGBT is a voltage controlled current, current device. device Yes Awesome Yeah, kind of funky So then is there another one that is a current controlled voltage device?
0: Mm, I mean, you can set no. up
1: a you can set up a, a uh, an op amp to do that.
0: Yeah, but I don't. I, but I don't but think like so. a,
1: a singular component,
0: like a topography. Yeah, a, a yeah. silicon topography. I don't think so. Huh? There probably is a design, but there's no need for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's a cool. I, I I didn't know about these things, and basically because I don't have to play with three hundred amps and the thousand volts
1: <laughs> and drive it from five. 5 volts? Yeah, with 5 volts. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Um, they, so they, they use them a lot in, um, like, industrial switching. Motor like if controllers. You, motor, like, you need to control a monster lathe yep. or something like that. You can use it, these guys.
0: And the thing about the, an ignition beat, uh, IGBT, that's what the line that Fairchild has to sell. Right. Is the um, – uh, basically what they're doing is using the voltage control so they can – Limit how much current goes through the, the ignition circuit on their on cars, and so you don't basically have an in, insane inrush on some of these starters. Hmm. So this is the interesting thing um, I, I found. I one of my uh, mechanical engineer friends when I was in college, he was doing uh, in, uh, like, uh, a like like an engine class, I guess, or something like that. <laughs> um, I had no idea what mechanical gear school. Yeah, gear school, <laughs> yeah. piston class. <laughs> Um, but he was saying that with the new emission regulations for cars, yeah. you basically have – your car has to start – the engine has to start within the first rev- revolution uh, or you already put out too much unprocessed gasoline
1: through your, your exhaust. Because it's not firing. It's just spitting it all out. Yeah. Because it's not burning it within all the way. one revolution. Within one revolution, I guarantee you, my truck does not start within <laughs> one <laughs> revolution. My Jeep doesn't either.
0: My Jeep <laughs> starts pretty quickly, but it still takes three it's or four. It's not one. No. <laughs> um, that's why all new cars yeah. have a start button. Oh. Because you press the button and it automatically knows when it can turn off the starter. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and it's way faster than a human can turn a key. Right. Yeah. And controlled. Yeah. So, anyways. Um, I'm gonna bet you. <laughs>
1: thanks, Obama. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I'm
0: gonna bet these cars have monster starters. Yeah. So they can get that motor up to speed like as fast as it can. They just rip it open. They rip it as fast as they can. Yeah. And so you need an IGBT that's
1: gonna have this insane inrush current on that motor. Ah, that makes sense. Bam. Because a typical uh, starter motor is like 200 amp or something like that. Yeah, something like that. They might be doing, like, 800 now. Yeah,
0: 800 or something like that. Just
1: just completely tearing it up.
0: Yep. Cool stuff. That's that's just speculation, but maybe someone will set us straight on Twitter, but I'm going to bet you that's... Probably. That's probably <laughs> somewhere in the realm of why. Huh. Because back in but the day, On just... wants
1: to sell that, because they, do they already have some kind of... Yeah,
0: On Semiconductor already has an ignition I, uh, IGBT line. Gotcha. And so I'm going to bet you Fairchild and On semi are like the biggest two players and so yeah. you have to sell it off so you're not a monopoly anymore
1: right because that's way worse than uh um just competing against them exactly yeah interesting yeah and
0: so uh that's gonna do it for this week's macfab engineering podcast yep yep we were your host
1: parker doman and Stephen craig later guys take it easy